Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another exciting show. We are especially glad that one of us who had traveled uh, out there, she's back with us. We are looking forward to hearing from Nancy, my co-host. This is No Wonderlove, broadcasting live from the great state of Indiana. <laughs> Welcome each and every one of you to prime time. Hey, Nancy, how are you doing? Welcome back. Hey, Noah. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Um, good evening, our listeners. I'm glad to be back in the United States of America. Yeah, and, and um, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. I'm actually happy that you are back, so at least that's a good start. And our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure they are excited, especially the show that we have today, to hear from you just what your thoughts are, especially... Uh, being a beautiful black woman. So before we go any further, let's go to New Orleans. Brother Warren, how are you doing? I bring love, warmth, happiness, 
and greetings from New Orleans, Louisiana. Good, good, and good. Yeah. Welcome back, Nancy. Oh, thank you so much, Brother thank Warren. You so much, thank Brother you so Warren. much. And greetings from Zambia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's always a good thing, at least to to have uh, when when somebody travels and they come back. Usually, people look forward to hear uh, how the trip went and things like that. So, Nancy, do you want to share with uh, before we get started? Do you want to share with our listeners where you had traveled and especially in this time and day, what is happening around the world? So, if you are uh, do you want to share share that with our listeners? Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Actually, I haven't traveled in a long time. Uh, the last trip I took was, I think, in Jamaica, and I also went to Bahamas. So it was good to actually go back home after, you know, some years. And um, I flew to Dubai, so I was there for a night and had some dinner outside. What a beautiful city. And mm-hmm. then flew into the capital the capital city of Zambia, which is Lusaka. And I intended just to stay in Lusaka this time around because of uh, COVID and being one of the frontline uh, staff. I did not want to to kind of like travel outside, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I stayed in Lusaka city. And um, this time around is uh, what they call their winter. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like spring. But uh, the atmosphere there is good. It's just that uh, they're about to enter the election month, I think next uh, month. So everything is just kind of like quite political right now. But uh, since I haven't been back home in a while, Lusaka looks uh, quite uh, developed. The infrastructure is good. The road network is uh, on top of the notch. And they have even uh, um, highways, uh, you, know. you know. So there are malls everywhere now. And uh, but the economy is. Um, I was talking about. I was looking at uh, globalization. How globalization has allowed uh, the the influx of goods in and outside. You know, different parts of the world, even the third world countries, the developing countries. But again, though they have these goods, the same goods we have here, they are also found in Zambia, in Osaka, but. The prices are really, really high. So I, I didn't. I, I didn't. I was trying to really uh, look into the strategic way of like the goods are valuable, but mm-hmm. the prices are really, really high. But people don't have money, so the economy okay. there is kind of like quite harsh for most of the civil servants. The civil servants are the people that work in the government. They are teachers, nurses, and just the ordinary workers. Their their salaries are really low but the goods and services are really, really high. So we're talking about a population of Zambia of about probably, you know, 75% are living in dire poverty, and 25% are really, really rich. So we have a higher level of people that are really rich. They can afford anything. They can afford to travel to Dubai or the United States for vacations. But again, we have the 75% of the people that are not doing well. And uh, it's really, it was really, really difficult to watch you know, and to see how people are affording the goods and services there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's one of those things that I think uh, wherever you travel, uh, the plight of the less fortunate, uh, in this case, those people, the 75%, I mean, that's just unfortunate. Yeah, so welcome. We're just happy to have you back on the show. 
we dearly missed you and were excited. So let's go ahead and look at what we are talking about today. So today we have a very special, interesting uh, topic to dissect. Uh, this is beauty, because we, we're going to look at beauty from different angles, and Brother Warren is going to share uh, with us, I think, uh, looking at history and the black people, the phases back in the 60s and the 70s, what it meant to identify with the to be black and proud and things like that. So we'll hear from Brother Warren from that angle and also look, he will connect the dots from uh, his perspective. And also I'll look at uh, uh, beauty. What does it mean? Uh, And especially the economic component that most people don't really factor in. So we're going to look at what does it mean to be beautiful? Because we've, especially for our women folks, we encourage, especially the younger girls, actually. Uh, This show is designed to provide some education, to stimulate your mind, to inspire you, to encourage you, uh, to look yourself in the mirror and to smile. So we're going to look at beauty. What does it mean? Because we've all heard the saying, uh, beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder, what does that mean? So we'll try to uh, give our slant on the topic and we'll just uh, do it justice and see. Uh, at the end of the day, we are hoping at least our listeners will learn one or two things. So that's basically where we'll be coming from and where we'll be going. So uh, to start us out, we're going to start out with Brother Warren. Can you just share a little bit about the black experience in in light with beauty? What is beauty especially for a black person? Well, that's a very big uh, topic you threw to me. I just want to say, first of all, again, uh, hello, and in the Spinozi language, Gumela uh, of Zambia. (laughs) I wanted to say that. I, uh, you know, um, when we talk about this issue of what is beautiful, who is beautiful, who is pretty, who is cute, who is handsome, uh, it's a different type of meaning, uh, when black people speak that way, as opposed to other groups, you know, every culture has its traditional innate standard of what beauty meant prior to, let's say, European conquest. And the world today is still dealing with the impact of European conquest. So as black people, one of the uh, defining features of what is considered beautiful, not beautiful, has been the politics of hair. Uh, more so than even skin color, the politics of hair. I finished a book uh, about a month ago called Twisted, The Tangled History of Black Hair Culture by Emma DeBerry. Now, Emma DeBerry is a biracial person. She was born in Ireland to an Irish mother and a Nigerian father. And one of the things she talks about in the book, and the book is excellently written, 
very well researched historically and connects this whole issue. Coming up as a girl in Ireland, I think she may have come up in the 1980s or something like that, where there weren't never, ever many black people in Ireland. Her, her hair, you know, her hair was the hair as a biracial person. Her hair was the very, very thick, sticky hair. She did not have what we call the curly hair, the wavy hair, or the straight hair. She had the uh, typical, quote-unquote, African hair. Her mm-hmm. mother did not know how to deal with her hair. And, you know, it was something that tormented her as a kid coming up. And when she moved to, you know, she would move out and go to uh, London where they had more black people, she was able to uh, visit many of the black beauty parlors, and she was able to learn different ways to do her hair. And so I use that as an issue as it relates to beauty. One of the things that happened to uh, non-white people, and black people in particular, being under European domination, is that Europeans had the standard of beauty was how they looked, how their females looked. And so many of, let's say, Black men, whether we're in Africa or the United States, because I think this has pretty much kind of been the same all, all over the place, we look at white women as some sort of standard of what is beautiful, or if you're close to it, that is having lighter skin, that is having hair of different textures. Now, as American black, we always talk about how diverse we are in our complexions, skin complexion, and our hair textures. And that's, that's very true. So a, a black family in America is color-wise heavily diverse. Uh, it would be very difficult to try to exclude our family members based on. However, this is a very important point. In families, in, in many black families in the United States, at one time, now I wouldn't say so much today, if the grandchildren were lighter skinned, the grandmother may give more attention to the lighter skinned grandchildren. Uh, and we use the term in the United States, good hair, bad hair. Good hair, quote unquote, is hair that's straight or curly. Bad hair is hair that is very kinky, difficult to make. So we still use that today, unfortunately, in parlance among African Americans and also in black people in the Americas. I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard whether that type of talk is used on the African continent. But in the Caribbean and Latin America, the United States, black people use the term good hair, bad hair. In Spanish, it's pelo malo for bad hair. Pelo bueno for good hair. And that's a sort of legacy, a negative legacy that we maintain from our uh, conquest uh, under European people. Now, in the United States, I don't think it's that much today, but it's a big issue on the continent of Africa, skin bleaching creams, skin bleaching uh, chemicals to lighten your skin 
that's very big on the African continent today. And uh, I had a friend of mine, she spent some time in Senegal, and she was staying with a couple, a married couple. And she began to feel tension from the guy's wife. And what she learned was the guy's wife was insecure with her because she was lighter skin, and she felt that her husband would be attracted to her. So I'll just stop there with the introduction to this topic. What is beauty? <laughs> what is beauty, and how do we measure it? And then I'll later share some changes uh, that have occurred in the cultural scene as it relates to darker skin, natural hair, and how that has become very fashionable and desirable now. Thank you, Brother Warren. That's a, a good start. So we're going to... Uh because we have a female in our midst here, and this is Nancy. Mm-hmm. So, Na- Nancy, yeah. so uh, before before we go any further, Nancy, can you, you as a female, I'm sure it, how would you define beauty? Because uh, mostly it's usually the female is usually on the receiving end of that question or compliment. Uh, so, how would you define beauty as a female? Uh, thank you so much, Noah, for having me on the program, and uh, thank you so much for discussing this uh, very important topic of beauty. So, um, and, and thank you so much, Brother Warren, for having studied us with that uh, good uh, introduction on beauty. So, uh, uh, basically, beauty means feeling comfortable in your own skin. So I know uh, uh, Brother Warren really spoke deeply about black people and the breaching and uh, relating beauty to, you know, to hair and skin. We live in an era where we feel like um, anything beautiful has to be, has to deal with white, white skin, having that long, flashy white hair. No, Mm -hmm. so um, my definition of beauty really is feeling we as black people should feel comfortable in our own skin and our, and appreciating our imperfections. Because when we talk of, of beauty, it always relates to a woman, right? I've never heard anyone say, relate that beauty to a man. Mm-hmm. To a guy, yeah. Very handsome. Yeah, so mm-hmm. basically we're talking about beauty as it relates to a woman and being a black woman and being an African beautiful woman. So uh, every woman, I tell women out there that every woman is beautiful. You just need to know yourself and uh, believe in your heart, in your mind that you are beautiful because what comes from inside will definitely portray from outside. So if you feel ugly, everybody else will look at you ugly. If you feel beautiful, everybody else will look I feel beautiful. So you have to believe in your body. You have to believe in your skin. You have to believe in your own hair and believe that you are beautiful. You know, beauty comes in different colors, white, black, orange, gray. It also comes in different sizes, big, small. So whether you are small, tall, you know, short, you just need to know how to take yourself, how to carry yourself and just believing in yourself as a woman and being confident that you are beautiful. If you are not, if you don't portray yourself to be beautiful, nobody else will. I keep on repeating that because that's very, very important. You as a woman feeling that confidence that you are beautiful and nobody else 
will tell you that you are not. I've seen so many women standing up there as beautiful. They believe in themselves. They have the confidence. And people will portray you the way you take yourself. That's all I can say on that topic right now. So believing and appreciating your imperfections. Beauty means feeling good about yourself, whether it is because of makeup or nice clothes or exercising. It is having confidence in yourself. So beauty is power, whether you are white, black, yellow, or Indian. Thank you. Yeah, so the, very well said, Nancy. Very well said. Yeah, so uh, let me put a little slant on beauty. And Brother Warren, of course, opened it up. And so now we're trying to see if we can break it down a little bit. So when we say beauty, when a woman is beautiful, it in other words, it's more like art. You can look at a piece of art and you come to a different picture. By simply looking at something, it will take you to come up with a different conclusion. So it's the same thing when you look at a beauty. Usually when you say someone is beautiful, we are referring to the female. So for a guy, they will say he's maybe cute or handsome. But to Nancy's point, yes, it's true. Beauty is all about confidence, how you feel about yourself. What I want to encourage, especially our black folk, especially the young black girls, is that you are created in God's image. God saw the beauty when he, create, when he or she created you. So you have to understand that, first of all, you are created by your creator who saw it fit to create you the way you are and the way you look and everything that you have about yourself. That came straight, pre-packaged, pre-programmed, designed by the creator himself or herself. So you have to understand that you are what you are because you were created that way. So when they say beauty lies in the hands of the beholder, you can look at, uh, for instance, uh, Hollywood uh, personality and in terms of beauty. For instance, when you look at people like, um, uh, let's say, Halle Berry, those are what uh, most people would agree that, oh, Halle Berry, she's a beautiful woman. So when somebody says a beautiful woman, somebody will look at her and then they'll not be impressed that much. So it depends on what you are looking for. But each and every person, they are designed, created by their creator, and they are beautiful, just like God created the world and said, it is good. So when you were born, when you were designed, God saw that you are beautiful, you are unique, you are complete just the way you are. So we want to encourage, especially because uh, when we look at uh, the remnants of a dominated people, a people who have been conquered, we have been told that you are not good enough. So that, to a very great extent, it, there is a little bit of background noise. Let me see if I can... Do this, okay? Yeah. So, f to a very great extent, when we look at ourselves, most people tend to feel 
that they are not good enough because of somebody else's opinion. So I just want to strike that point that you are beautiful because you are created the way you are created. So I see uh, Patrick here wants to share some thoughts here. So if you're just joining us, we are talking about beauty. What does it mean, especially for a black young girl or a black female and every other female, but what does it mean when we say uh, somebody is beautiful? So, I, I, Patrick, I know you want to share some thoughts. Oh, I was, I was just listening. I, I thought it was a very interesting topic. First, let me say uh, greetings to the, uh, the host, especially the beautiful Nancy, I think her name is. Oh, yes, oh, yes, yes. Hi, Patrick. Hello. Hi, how so, are you doing? About, I'm doing just fine, Nancy, just fine. So I, um, I think this is a great, a great topic. Um, when, you, when, you, when you look at beauty, a lot of times beauty is determined by your, by your culture and by the, the, the society, as, as uh, Brother Warren brought up. And so if we take your example of a, um, let's say, an actress like Halle Berry, so she may be desirable and, and she, she's an actress and she makes certain movies and, and certain roles in certain movies. So she may be more attractive to someone who desires that. But if you live in a society that values family, and it may be a young man that really wants a family, a wife and children and and he desires those things, then somebody that may be like her may be a little less attractive, right, because of what it is that he may want, right, and vice versa mm-hmm. with women and men, right? So a lot of times your, 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 your whole your thought of beauty and what that means is determined by the society in which you live and the culture, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, you find, you find those things. So if you have somebody that's more uh, uh, marriage-minded, really wants to have a family and settle down, then somebody like an image that used to be on TV in America on the Cosby show, um, Felicia Rashad played Bill Cosby's wife on the show. For those of us who were at a certain age where we started to work, we started to make some money, you know, we were getting out of our younger phase and getting into, you know, maybe, you know, 30 years old, 30-something. We look at so we would and if you're marriage minded, you would look at somebody like Felicia Rashad as somebody that's more desirable than somebody like a Halle Berry. It all depends, right, where you are in your life and what what it is that you want. So I think uh culture has a lot to do with it. Not just with the physical part of it, but just with um, you know, yes, this person is beautiful because of some physical thing, but they may be beautiful because you may see them as the ideal wife or a, a woman may see a guy as the ideal husband. She may not be thinking of him in the sense of being beautiful physically, but he may have the attributes, um, other attributes that makes him more desirable. So um, on a macro level and a micro level, um, this whole image of beauty is, is very, it's a very important topic. And uh, the culture and society in which we grow up in um, determines our what we think is beautiful to a large extent. 
Great, great. Th- thank you, Patrick, for sharing. Yeah, so we're going to play a song. This was uh, originally done, I think, by Nina Samoa back in 1958, but there's a reggae version that I like that uh, I think this is one of the better versions. Of course, the original one is beautiful, but this is a song entitled Young, Gifted, and Black. So I'm sure most of you, some of you may recall or remember this beautiful track. So let's take this, play this song, and we'll be back to continue the conversation. Young, gifted, and black. track by Bob and Marsha, originally done back in 1958. So this is a classic, classic uh, song, especially in the black movement. I think back in the 60s, uh, when the black and and proud uh, became uh, one of those 
movement. So I think uh, Brother Warren can educate us uh, just the significance of that song, especially back in the civil rights or even prior to that. Brother Warren, if you can share your thoughts. Yeah, uh, the, the song, if I'm not mistaken, was based off a poem. And Nina Simone uh, put it to lyrics, but also Aretha Franklin had a version that I also like about that that song. And, of course, in the 60s, when James Brown recorded his uh, song, said loud, I'm black and I'm proud, I could tell you that was just like a revolution among the mind, among the mindset of, of black people. In the 1960s, the, the, yeah, the civil rights movement, okay, but the the young people in the civil rights movement were the ones in particular who started to address the concept of the aesthetic and mental uh, impairment of black people. Now, for example, the word Negro had Negro in color. Those were the terms that black people were officially referred to. In fact, on my birth certificate, it says Negro. That was the, but in the mid-60s, the word black, which had been considered a negative word, black people took that word and made it a positive word. And so we would have debates about whether you're a Negro or are you a black person. So if you were a Negro, it meant you were stuck in a brainwashed existence. But if you were black, you were a conscious, progressive black person. And so that's the era that all of that developed. And you know, Chancellor Williams, by the way, in his book, The Destruction of Black Civilization, he dedicates that book to the youth of the 1960s. In fact, he says in his dedication to the black youth of the 1960s, for beginning the second great emancipation, the liberation of our minds and thus changing the course of history. So, you know, we had we saw this young people with the Black Lives Matter movement that was big, but, you know, I can tell you that, you know, bless their heart, but the youth of the 1960s, the black youth of the 1960s. But I think, I think we're being a little bit too nice right now. Let's take the gloves off. Let's imagine we're in a classroom mm-hmm. and we have to take a test. And there's, there's, there are three questions. Are black people more attractive than white people? Now, this is a test of black people. The next question is, are white females more attractive than black females? And the third question, are white males more handsome than black males? Now, of course, I suspect all of us here on the panel, our answers would be similar. But there are going to be a percentage of black people who are going to say, yes, white people are more attractive. Yes, white females are more attractive. Yes, white males are more attractive. There are going to be a percentage of black people in the world that's going to say that. And that's where the issue lies, how we have been programmed to idealize a standard of beauty that has been programmed in us. And so it's very important we understand the seriousness of this 
subconscious conditioning. Because a lot of black people may not articulate it in front of other black people, but it's something that lingers in the consciousness of black people that they don't feel that they're attractive. And when we get back to the issue of hair, for example, that is a real good story about black women being comfortable with their natural hair, number one, and other people being comfortable with black females' natural hair. We have seen quite a few stories in the last few years, whether it's in the U.K., whether it's in South Africa, whether it's in the United States, of black females in schools, in the military, on the job, being harassed because they wear their hair in a natural afro or they braid their hair. Even in Africa, as I understand, in the workplace, it is not appreciated if the women wear their natural hair. They're supposed to seriously perm their hair or they're supposed to wear a sort of wig or something uh, to give the impression of a straightened type hair. That is a very political issue. Of course, there have slowly been some changes. I think the military announced a policy recently where women could wear their hair in certain styles. But even in certain schools, the little black girls are harassed or they're put out of the school or totally have to leave the school. There was a case just recently where a black girl was playing, oh, boy, was it softball? Was it volleyball? And the referee told her she had, she had braids. She had a braid or something. And the referee told her she had to cut her hair or she couldn't play. Well, she, she, uh, she let her hair be cut. A lot of the stuff is happening with the parents not even around. This is happening right now. And so the politics of black females' hair, really black people's hair in general, to be honest with you, not even just black females, but even black males who wear a big afro or whatever style, they tend to be harassed, okay? <laughs> and the type of abuse we do to each other as black people, when we try to measure uh, ourselves by some sort of white standard. So, for example, uh, you've had situations where black males would choose females who are lighter complexion and would make statements uh, ridiculing females who are darker skin. <clears throat> now, of course, that, that's complex. That's not simple that way because some of that has changed. But you see, at a time before the 1960s, at black schools, for example, all of your beauty queens were lighter-skinned females with straighter hair and who may look more closer to white people. That was your beauty queen. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I think I told you, Noah, during World War II, black men, their pinup girl, the girl they would have on there in the barracks of the picture, was Lena Horne. Lena Horne was an African-American actress and entertainer. She was very light-skinned. But the 60s changed that. The 60s changed that. And I'll tell you a pivotal situation that occurred. 
around the early 70s. Howard University in Washington, D.C., which is considered like the Harvard of black colleges, you know, always tend to have the lighter-skinned homecoming queen. Well, this one particular year, the homecoming queen wore her hair in a big afro, and boy, was that controversial. Remember Angela Davis of the early 1970s was mm-hmm. one of the uh, radical figures who wore that aesthetic. And the Black Panther Party members and the females, that was their aesthetic when <laughs> the Afro. And I, I tell you, I learned that that was revolutionary all over the black world, uh, that people were inspired by that. They felt free. They felt, they felt broken from a type of uh, restriction on their hair. And so we do see changes today in the modeling world where darker skin models, particularly the females from South Sudan, have been. Now, and then there's another side of that. We'll get to the, the fetishization of black females. We'll deal with that. But the point is that we're still dealing with this issue of aesthetics. Or what is beautiful, and you will have, unfortunately, black people who will be honest to say that. I, I, and I actually, know, I actually know some some black guys. I, I know black guys who will choose the most unattractive white female who may have <laughs> a weight problem over what we might consider the most gorgeous black female. It's a psychological thing. It's a mind thing. There's some sort of attempt to get closer to whiteness. I'll stop there and later I'll bring about uh, why <laughs> some blacks prefer lighter skin, mm-hmm. white females or white males. And it had a lot to do with how they want their children to look. But I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah, that's true, Brother Warren. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Primetime Show. It comes every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So we are talking about beauty with a special focus on African uh, people. So we played a song which was done by Nina Samoa, and it was encouraging black people to be young, gifted, and proud, because that's where it's at. Uh, when, when you're feeling really low, there's a great truth that you should know. When you are young, gifted, and black, your soul is intact. So what does it mean to be young, to be black, to be gifted? It means you are proud, you are created in the image of your creator. So we see back in the 1970s and 60s where there was a lot of monetization of blackness. So because... Other people look at black people and say, how can we extract as much money as we can? So one of the strategies is let's pair everything bad with blackness. Let's pair everything uh, uh, degenerative, everything bad, everything to do with unproductiveness, with bad. So when you pair everything that is terrible, the ghettos, just the rundown communities, places, psychologically that motivates a black person to run away from himself, 
to get out of his mind to look other than black. So there is a an intentionality by other people to pair blackness with everything terrible that in, its, in itself motivates black people to escape from themselves. This is why you find most of our people, unfortunately, they find themselves trapped uh, trying to look everything but black. So let's look at a little bit of some statistics here. So when you look at the African market, the cosmetics in the African, on the continent, I think uh, I'm looking at the statistics from 2018. So you look at on the continent, the cosmetics market is growing 8 to 10% compared to the rest of the world growing at a 4% global rate. So it's twice plus half in Africa. So when you look at the skincare products, the third largest category is actually Middle East and African countries, especially in the sub-Saharan Africa. So for instance, in South Africa itself, South Africa, skincare business is expected to top 839 million by 2023. Just in two years from now, they're expecting $839 million. Now, who is getting that money? Is it African people? The answer is no. So that's why I said there is an intentionality to pair everything terrible with blackness because that in turn motivates black people to run away because nobody wants to be associated with something that's terrible. So it's a, it's a basic psychological principle that others are using upon our people, especially our women folk. So this is why most women want to look other than black. They want to wear the Brazilian hair. How much money is spent on this Brazilian hair? Peruvian hair. Janet just to look different, to run away from the natural African hair. How much money? And the question is, who is getting that money? Everything is coming under the name of beauty. You are not beautiful unless you wear this wig, a weave, or whatever else, I mean, the right terms. You have to look at who is benefiting at the end of the day. So when somebody calls you, you're not good enough, you're not beautiful enough, there is a money component, and somebody benefits that. And when you look at the communities, mostly you find the Asian people are selling us all kinds of products. There is no African company that is benefiting from that. So blackness can be monetarized. So that's one of the areas. So let's continue with the statistics. So the largest skincare market is in the sub-Saharan Africa. So countries that top the list, I think these are six countries here. Nigeria, some of you, if you watch the Nigerian movies, there was actually some bleaching treatment, some liquid which I think was making our people's skin to, I think, or turn almost white, just like by applying the same. So number one, Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Ghana, and the Cameroon. So these 
six countries have a combined spending power of 1.3 trillion dollars. I'll say that again. 1.3 trillion, not million, not billion, trillion on skincare products. That's how others are benefiting from all these things. So you pair everything terrible with black. That in itself motivates black people to run away, to buy products, and in the process they are enriching these uh, uh, big companies. So that's just a little bit I can add. So Brother Warren had shared a, a, a song which I think became an anthem back in the, uh, I don't know what, what, when it was written, but we'll play that song. But before we play the song, let's just uh, get some response from um, Nancy. Nancy, beauty. Talk a little bit about uh, beauty from your perspective. So uh, when it comes to beauty, I mean, I was listening attentively because I think we live in an era, like what I said, that, that relates beauty to anything white, to anything, uh, you know, glossy, long hair. But uh, as black people, we need to be proud of our own hair, be proud of our own skin. I know uh, you just gave out the statistics of um, how much people are using these chemicals. So when it comes to that, I think um, both black people and both black people and white people both use chemicals on their skin. And uh, both white people and black people both use chemicals on their hair. So uh, when it comes to using chemicals on hair, not only women use chemicals on their hair, but also black men. We do have mm-hmm. black men that bleach in Africa, those from uh, DRC Congo and those from oh, oh, parts yes. of Nigeria, I think. Especially mm-hmm. those from Congo, where I know a lot of men that bleach their skin. Okay. I know mm-hmm. a lot of men that use uh, chemicals on their hair, their weight loss. Even in the African-American community, think about uh, coming to America, you know, Yeah, back in the days. But even now, I think we still have men that use chemicals on their hair to make it, uh, to make it look that uh, wet look. Because mm-hmm. as a natural, our, our hair as black people, it's kinky in the nature. It's so hard to maintain, including that for men. So you men also, you do chemicals, you do use chemicals on your hair. Oh, yes. So both, oh, yes. Both, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so both um, sexes use chemicals, even on their mm-hmm. skin. So, so uh, when it relates to chemicals, basically, I think uh, 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 every person in this world uses chemicals, mostly. Even oh, yeah. gasoline has got chemicals. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I see. When we look at yeah, the... Yeah, so we have to be very, very careful not to blame women on no, using no, no, chemicals actually, on their skin. Le- yeah, but... so le- let me just actually uh, shed a little bit of light. So what we're trying to share here is not necessarily to play the game blame, but to point out the statistics. For instance, countries that I mentioned, Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Ghana, and Cameroon, they have a combined buying power or spending power of $1.3 trillion with a T. These are United States dollars. Now, the question is, who is getting that money? That's not any of these countries. It's those companies that sell these products. And of course, we are not trying to... Um, say, judge anyone who is using the products. We're just looking at trying to open people's eyes so that they can see 
Because when you pair everything black to be terrible, to be bad, that motivates people to look anything other than black. So you look at the money that comes in, the monetization of being black, whether you're female or you are male, all your money goes to these big companies. They sell you these products. Of course, both men and women use them. So you look at the people use, I mean, this, uh, all these products, I mean, for different reasons. For instance, there's dry skin, there's the scaring, ingrown hair, loss of feminist sometimes. I mean, people uh, are different. Clogged pores, signs of aging, sun damage from unprotected sun exposure, an even skin tone, oily skin, acid, and sensitive skin. So there are different reasons why people use this. But what we're trying to say here is the money that has been spent on these products, it's a, it's a ton and ton of money. Just imagine $1.3 trillion if it's pumped into the African countries, uh, one or two countries. I mean, the country is going to look different. But you find that this money is being spent. Look at, I mean, just recently we received the stimulus money uh, from the government. People couldn't wait to go and spend that money. Spend that money with these companies that create desires in people to uh, buy some of these things. Those countries, one of the things that we have as a challenge as African people or as black people is we are always in this consumer mode. We are always consuming products. So I just wanted to okay. clarify that we are not blaming anyone. We are looking at how Africanness is being or blackness is being monetized by other people. So I know uh, we have uh, Patrick, Patrick, I'm sure, and Brother Warren. They have, a, they have some, some thoughts on that one. So before we, we get to so Patrick, just, pa mm -hmm. yeah, so before we get to Patrick, Nancy, go ahead and finish up your thoughts, and then we'll so take a break. Mm -hmm. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. So I thank you so much for giving us that statistics on um, how many people, hmm, how much people are consuming these uh, chemicals. So I like what you're saying is that, in every adversity, as a business person, in every adversity, people look for opportunities. Where people are think there are no opportunities, people will always find opportunities to make money. So like uh, during the pandemic, where people are being isolated, they're not working, they're inside their houses. There are people that have made billions and billions of money. So people take adversity and look at what is going on and make money out of that. So in blackness, people have found ways of making money. So it's up to you as an individual to think, to say, okay, what can I do? How can I maintain my skin without using explicit chemicals? You can just use okay. a male lotion. But, but uh, even just in lotions, there are chemicals in there. As a nurse, as a medical professional, I know that in everything that we do, in everything that we consume, in, in anything that we put on our skin, all these products have chemicals in them. So like what I said, I mentioned a very, very important point. Where there's an adversity during... Um, 9-11, some people made money out of that. During the pandemic, the global pandemic, some people have taken advantage of the global pandemic to make the money. Where people have no employment, some people are making gloves, they are making uh, ventilators, they are making, uh, you know, uh, different ways of, uh, you know, um, infection control. So even in blackness, people are taking advantage of that. So we as human beings, we just have to be aware and be alert to what is going on. 
So that's very, very important for us to be well informed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so we're going to play a song, and then we'll go to Patrick to uh, give give his view. So this is, of course, the grandfather of soul, James Brown. Say it loud. Grandfather of Saul, the late James Brown, singing Say It Loud, I'm Black and Proud. So some of the lyrics, now we demand a chance to do things for ourselves. We are tired of beating our heads against the wall and waking for someone else. We are a people just like the birds and the bees. We would rather die on our feet than living on our knees. Say it loud. I'm black and proud. That's James Brown. So let's go to Patrick. Patrick, uh, what say you uh, thus far? 
Um, I, I think um, during the beginning of the program, Nancy brought up a point about how you how people feel about themselves um, and how you know an individual feels about themselves and how they look and if they are attractive or beautiful. Um, and that's a big thing because if you the way you feel will express itself outwardly. Mm-hmm. So the way you feel about yourself will express itself outwardly in how you how you present yourself, how you present yourself to the world. And one of the things that I can say is that I've seen throughout my life, I've seen all too often beautiful black women not thinking or not feeling that way in the midst of being around other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just could never, I, I, you know, when I was young, I just didn't understand it. You know, when I was in high school, I was like, how, why, how? <laughs> like, do you understand how pretty you look? I would think of, you know, a lot of women, young girls at the time in high school, and then, you know, after then, I would experience it. But um, one of the things that I, 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 I still do, but I used to do a lot when I was young, is I would observe. So I would observe people in a room. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found was that if I'm in a, if I'm, and especially used to happen, and I'll bring up a, a situation in Washington, D.C. When I moved to Washington, D.C., probably about 1994, um, you know, working in Washington, D.C., and then I would have to go to certain functions and events and stuff around Washington, D.C. And in attending those events and just sometimes just going out to a restaurant or uh, a happy hour spot, as a lot of people, black people will do in D.C. on the weekends. Um, what I would notice other people in the room. So if there was a function, I would watch. I would watch the room. And one of the things I would always look out for is that if there was a woman there, a black woman, in the space, an attractive black woman, I would look at how other people um, reacted to this person, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what I found a lot of times is that unbeknownst to a black woman that may be at a function or an event and she's looking stunning, I don't think that she understands how other people react to her. I don't think she understands how other women look at her and keep their eye on her. And even if they're talking in another part of the room, they'll look over to see what she's doing or who's talking to her or what man is talking to her or how she's, you know, mingling in the room. And I often used to wonder, I wonder if she understands her beauty and how it's even making women who are supposed to be the epitome of beauty in this room, how it's even making them notice and even probably making some of them a little bit insecure. I wonder if she has any idea of her beauty and the power that emanates from it. So I think, you know, what Nancy said about, you know, how you feel about yourself and the confidence and how that expresses itself and how you present yourself, how you dress, how you wear your hair, you know, um, is, is a big thing. And I will say what I am proud of, though, 
is that there has been a movement for a number of years. I, I mean, I grew up in New York, so I've always seen this, right? I've always seen, you know, black women wearing their own hair, wearing certain styles, and and really doing, I mean, I've seen artwork done with with black hair. I mean, it's been really, really nice styles. But lately, and I don't know how long this has been going on, and maybe Brother Warren has some thoughts on this, but there's been a movement in the U.S., a national movement for with black women wearing their own hair. And it's something mm-hmm. that I think a lot of black men have been requesting, and I'm so happy to see it, right? I'm so happy to see a lot of black women wearing natural hairstyles oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Even in corporate mm-hmm. America, like it's, things are changing. And um, I think in a lot of ways there are a lot of women that are, 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 are rediscovering their beauty. And, and so I'm, I'm happy to see that. And I don't think there's a lot of black men that are requesting that, so they're liking it. Um, so I, that's a positive spin. I think there are some positive things going on now uh, as it relates to beauty. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. So, Brother Warren, your thoughts? Yes. I, well, one of the things I, I do as a male, I, now I'm a, I'm a bachelor. I'm a bachelor, and I, I date, you know, all kinds of black women. I, I do not uh, – I, I don't have the right to tell a woman how she should wear hair, so I accept a black woman however she has her hair. I prefer that they wear their natural hair, but if they're wearing weaves or whatever, that's fine. I don't feel it's my place to dictate to the woman how they should wear their hair. I would like to say that uh, there are two films I recommend people watching. One is, a, and I think you may have seen it sound from what it sounds like, Noah, Beverly Naya is a Nigerian actress. She has a documentary that's on Netflix called Skin. Skin's a skin, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's a documentary looking at the concept of beauty in Nigeria. Now, she was born in the U.K. Her parents are from Nigeria, but she was born in the U.K. And when she, she's a very beautiful woman. When she was a kid, you know, she was like some kids look skinny, braces, glasses. She didn't feel like she was attractive. She was teased. That scarred her psychologically. And she does this documentary looking at colorism in Nigeria, skin bleaching in Nigeria. And it's, it's, I recommend people to watch that. Her, her name is Beverly Naya, N-A-Y-A, and I think it's called Skin. And then there's a movie on Amazon Prime called Farming. Now, the movie is based on a true story. And in the U.K., farming was this. A lot of Nigerians, uh, I, I think this would be like the 1950s or 60s maybe. I think this was the time period, or even 70s. A lot of Nigerians who lived in the U.K., uh wanted to finish school. They were so ambitious, they wanted to finish their education, and they would farm their children out. They would put their children in foster homes. For And it was all white families in the U.K. who would take it. And the idea was somebody would be watching their children while they're finishing school, and then when they finish school, they'll go back to Nigeria and work. Well, mm-hmm. this movie is about this young man who was formed, and he was adopted. He was he was in the foster care of a white family uh, somewhere in England. But the problem was he had an identity crisis. He started to identify with the white kids to the point that he joined a skinhead group. 
the movie is very touching, and it looks at the complexity and the problems when you don't have proper identity. Now, that concept that these Nigerians, and it, I, I think they said it was thousands of them, would allow their children to be in the care of these white people. As an African-American, I, I can't even imagine that, because African-Americans, one thing we understood is pretty much in a very general sense how white people are, how, they, how, how mean and abusive they could be. So I, I can't even imagine that type of attitude among ambitious African Americans wanting to send their children out to foster care until they finish their education and everything. But that young man was scarred. That movie is based off of his story. It's called Farming. I, rec- I recommend that. And so I just wanted, those were some of the thoughts I had as it relates to uh, uh, that. I, I, as I said, I, consider myself, I, we grew up a uh, very, our family sheltered us, and uh, I never looked at white females at all as attractive. Uh, e- even all my life, I never looked at them as attractive because I grew up around black women, black, my grandmothers, my mother, my aunts, my female cousins, they nurtured me. They saved my life, meaning that they protected me. And so that's so that so I have this real loyalty to black females because they have been my protectors and they have protected the males, my father, my uncles, my grandfathers, my male cousins, they have protected them. They have nurtured them. And so I uh do know that sometimes when we engage in social interaction with other racial groups, there's this curiosity. And I know that white females many times attempt to, to you know, make me interested in them, but I'm not interested in them. I, I walk away. I kind of move away. And so uh, because I feel that I was nurtured in a, a steady identity, to make me capable of dealing with the world and the reality that the world has uh, for me when I'm in the midst. And this confidence that I've been given, this sense of sureness from my background allows me to be able to compete and to confront other people, particularly when they try to perpetuate stereotypes and lies uh, Mm -hmm. about our group, you know. And so... uh, but I recommend those two films for people to watch. I think they're very pertinent to the discussion we had. Yeah. Th- thank you, Brother Warren. Well said, well said. Yeah, so again, we are discussing beauty. What is beauty in this time and age? So we are looking at uh, beauty from a standpoint of a black female. So you heard there from Patrick, of course, a woman, a black woman, stands out especially, I mean, even in a setting where there are non-black people because they'll be looking to checking her out, see what she's saying, who she's talking to, and things like that. So the point here for our listeners, again, we are trying to impress upon, especially uh, young black females, to be comfortable in your own skin. Be proud of who you are. Listen to songs like James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And the other song that we played, uh, Bob and Marsha, originally done by Nina Samoa, 
young, gifted, and proud. You have to be proud of who you are. Beauty is about confidence as for you as a person. When somebody says, a guy says to a female, you are beautiful, just that yeah. statement makes a female feel so proud. So when you look at the biology, there is what is called oxytocin. This is a hormone that is used for bonding. So there are other happy hormones, for instance, like the dopamine, pleasure, motivational, and then there's also serotonin, mood stabilizer. It's just something for well-being and happiness. So when somebody says, you are beautiful, that means somebody accepts you for who you are. Just mere mentioning or saying the word you're beautiful, it makes a person feel at ease. It makes a woman relax. It makes a person want to feel sort of a bonding, a trust, a trustness sort of develops. So oxytocin is a hormone that promotes bonding and trust. And it is particularly active during childbirth where it stimulates uh, contractions because, of course, that's a terrible uh, period when a woman is going through uh, childbirth. So one of its lesser known but equally important functions of oxytocin is that it's a neurotransmitter that helps to regulate stress. So when somebody says you are beautiful, it makes you feel good. It's been pointed, as, uh, like I mentioned, uh, in humans mostly it helps bonding. When somebody uh, says you're beautiful, most women, they smile, they feel at ease, they feel relaxed, they feel that they are accepted by the other person by who they are. Because when somebody says you're beautiful, it could be maybe they like the hairstyle, whether it's kinky, whether it's a weave and things like that, or maybe it's just your eyes, it's your nose, your mouth, the way you speak. And one thing I must attest here, for I'm sure all the men, I'll get a man from the men here, is that black women are naturally beautiful and they, are, they just have this amazing full-figured body. I'm sure even uh, Nancy will say amen to that. This is what threatens other people because a black woman has, has got it all. And there are different skin tones for black women. They are the dark chocolate, there is the middle, and then there are lighter skin. And it's just amazing uh, when you look at the, how God designed a black female. So this is why other people see that. And they try to play a psychological game on you and say you're not beautiful by pairing blackness with everything that's terrible. That in itself motivates black people to want to escape. And when you escape, you end up, uh, I think there's an echo, you end up purchasing products that enrich other people. So there is an element of... Economic benefit for other people to call you uh, nappy hair, big lips, and things like that. When somebody says that, it makes somebody feel bad. It makes somebody feel low. Oh, I'm not beautiful. Maybe I should buy this product. 
or if I wear maybe this outfit, maybe if I apply this type of cream on my face, maybe if I wear my hair a certain way, that in itself makes other people feel if they can associate with these other products, then they will feel beautiful. Again, you see, pairing everything terrible with black makes motivates people to buy certain products. So we, we just wanted to share some thoughts and paint a picture how blackness is used to benefit others. So the next time you go out there before you buy anything, ask yourself who is benefiting from what you are, uh, the money that you are spending. Is it going to a black company or are you just helping to be part of this consumerization that we are known for as a people? So we just wanted to share some thoughts on that. So as we are coming to the okay. end, if you have a question, anyone has a question, please press one on your keypad, then we'll get a notification and we'll, we'll unmute your, your line. So I think somebody wanted to say something. No, I, no, I think the the, uh, the irony of all of, of what you're saying is that yes, they may put down certain features um, that we may have naturally, but when you look around, what what is happening in the wider society? You see, you're seeing a lot of you're seeing a lot of um, plastic surgery. What type of surgery? There are mm-hmm. um, um, surgeries for, for, for implants for buttocks to enlarge buttocks oh, yeah. of other women. Mm-hmm. That is a big, big surgery now. And they also get the lip, the lip um, injections and stuff like that to get fuller lips and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, it was, and it really, I think, came to its height at the start of this whole thing with the Kardashians, Right. And the way that they were, the surgery that they got to look, to have a body shape that was closer to that of like an African-American woman mm-hmm. or, or an African woman or a black woman. So it's, it's funny because they put it down on one hand, but then on the other hand, they run to get those things that, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. to, to get the kind of oh, yeah. that we have. And that's why I say that women should be, our women should be proud, and really any woman should be proud of how she looks, including our women, our women, right? Should be proud mm-hmm. of how they look because other people admire that, whether they notice it or not. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's well so said, just, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, Nancy, yeah, go ahead. So, uh, so, so I just want on what Patrick has said. I think uh, women are very, very insecure and, uh, and they're very, very sensitive. So when you discuss uh, topics like beauty, especially from a man's perspective, there are so many factors that make uh, these women so insecure. So uh, could it be that um, you men, the type of, um, the choice of women you look for, maybe are white women? Because uh, mm. I've seen a lot of um, African-Americans get offended when they see their fellow black man go after the mm-hmm. white women. Could it make them insecure that, Anything white is more beautiful than them. As black people, we've come a long way, you know, just from um, our discrimination against women and also discrimination against uh, the rest of the black people. So why are black men in this country gravitate towards white women? And that makes uh, black women in this country more insecure and more angry, and that's why they're considered to be angry black women. 
You know, there are so many issues that these women go through. But yeah, then, uh, we don't know. Because uh, as I was flying from um, Ethiopia to um, mm-hmm. Dublin, I was watching a movie where uh, this um, black executive was looking for specifically white woman to be part of his business. So in such a process that uh, these black women were really, really, you know, are disgraded and they were not even considered for that position. So there are so many, many factors that women go through. So as we dig deeper in this topic, we have to look at discrimination that you men also put on the, on your women, on, on black women. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. What say I'm just you... being frank. I'm just, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just looking at true. this topic from different perspectives. Oh, yes, you know? that's true. Hey, yeah, so Brother Warren, of course, he mentioned the type of women that he looks out for. So I'm going to throw you under the bus, Patrick. So what say you to Nancy's uh, uh, comment? <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. I can understand the, 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 um, the confusion, and I can understand even the anger mm-hmm. with this. And one of the reasons I can understand is because I realized that Throughout everything, especially in the United States, throughout everything that we've been through, our women have stuck by us. Even even in being even in taking the losses that we have taken, even in being beaten down the way we have, they were right there with us. They didn't abandon us and run over to other men by and large. Mm-hmm. So I can understand um the the feelings of, you know, betrayal uh you know mistrust and those kind of things i understand it um so but um i think those things are changing somewhat mm-hmm. even though there's a big media push i don't know if you guys see it there's a big media push to um promote um um black men with other people and black women with other races um in the media, um, and, and I, I don't begrudge anybody who they fall in love with and they date or they marry. That that is an individual choice. However, there I do understand, and, and I, I those are choices that I've not made. I've never dated other anything other than a black woman, but um, I can understand how women will feel would feel that way. I get it. Yeah, so Nancy know that at least uh, we know this is a very huge uh, topic. And, of course, there are uh, all kinds of men with different uh, tests, what they're looking for. But your point is well noted. Your point is well noted. Brother Warren, what what do you have to add to that? Yes. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay, I, I didn't know if I was. Yeah, I want to, to say that... Uh, the, the the person that a black person choose to marry that's not a black person, in my opinion, does say a lot about their consciousness and their perception of who they think beauty are. We get into this debate that it's a person's choice. Yes, it is a person's choice, but we have to be honest about ourselves. There are subconscious things lying beneath there. I have a, one of my sister-in-laws, her her aunt her aunt was married to a drummer. The drummer was one of the Jackson Five drummers. He's called Sugarfoot was his name. When Sugarfoot left my sister in law's aunt for a white woman, 
So my nephew, he attends West Point Military School in New York, and she told him, she said, if you come back with a white girl, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you see, here, like I said, African Americans, we are very diverse in our color and complexion. So my sister-in-law and her whole family, they look, they look like East Indians. They're African Americans, but they have an East Indian look. They have straight jet black hair and the brown skin. That's, that's a testament to a lot of the things, African Americans, how we, be, you know, how we become in this country. But the point is, her, her uncle, her, her aunt's husband, leaves her for a white woman. And Nancy, I'd like you to go to the computer, and I'd like you to type into Google this word, T-I-G-N-O-N, T-I-G-N-O-N. T-I-G-N-O-N. What's that? T-I-G-N-O-N. Okay. Yeah, T-I-G-N-O-N and Google Images. Okay, let me do that. Tino. Tino. Tino was a head wrap that black women wore around their head. My grandmother, they wore the Tino. And the Tino, the history behind the Tino is during colonial times in Louisiana. You had a lot of black women who look like white women because of the interracial uh, rape that was going on during slavery. So you had black women and you had black women who were light-skinned who looked white. The white mm-hmm. women came jealous because their husbands coveted these women for concubines. So they mm-hmm. convinced the colonial governor to pass a law stating that any type of black woman had to wear a head wrap to signify her inferior position in society. What those black women did, they took those head wraps and they made them fashionable. <laughs> they did it in the Caribbean, they did it in Louisiana, and all throughout the Caribbean. So if you look at the word Tignon, T-I-G-N-O-N, in Google Images, you'll see pictures, paintings of Tignons that women wore around their head. So it shows you the style and fashion that black women brought from Africa, you know, wearing head wraps and so on and so forth, or African fashion styles that go back centuries. And so even during enslavement, in an attempt to try to dehumanize us and make us at a low status, we made fashion even with that. Yes, well said, well said, Brother Warren. So we are running down on time. So uh, now in 30 seconds or less, Patrick, what? Uh, what say you as your final point to our listeners? 30 seconds or less. Oh, great, great conversation, great topic. Again, um, good job with the host of the show um, on this topic. I would just encourage everyone to be more positive, to be more confident. Um, I would encourage our women to try to be the best of themselves, have confidence, and uh, realize their beauty. Um, again, great topic. And uh, I'll be listening in again next week. Thanks, Noah. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. So we go to Brother Warren, your final thought in 30 seconds or less. Yes, I want to say this was a very uh, uh, tough topic to try to manage in this in this short time, but, but I think mm-hmm. we've, we've done a decent job, and uh, thank you so much. Nancy, your final thoughts? 
So uh, thank you so much to the panelists, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I know uh, as men, as you are talking about beauty, that relates to women, and it's very, very, uh, uh, very, very difficult to talk about beauty from a man's perspective without really offending women. So you guys, I think you did a wonderful job discussing this topic without even being overly sensitive or making women insecure. So uh, we just have to be very, very careful when we talk about women's hair and women's skin. You know, as black women, we've come a long way, and it's always very, very difficult to, to live in this world as a black woman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you've been listening to Prime Time. This is your host, Noah Lovo. We have come to the end of our program. Today we are looking at beauty. What is beauty in this time and age? Of course, we have learned that uh, it's just not easy being a black female, being a black woman in this time and age. There is just so much uh, we need to discuss. I think maybe in future we're going to a continuation of the show just to see if we can expand a little bit, especially to give the women an opportunity where we can look at what does it mean when somebody says that they are handsome, they are cute, and things like that, just from a guy's perspective. But today, the, hopefully, we were able to help educate, to inform, to teach our especially young black girls and females because beauty something that I think it requires uh, one to understand that they are first created in the image of God. You are enough the way you are. Be proud of who you are and what you are. Be proud of your hair, your lips, your nose, everything, because God created you to be exactly the way you are because there are no mistakes. So let us just be proud. So when we look at beauty, beauty is about confidence. Be confident, be proud of who you are as a person. So I know uh, we would have gone on maybe for another 30, 20 minutes just to discuss. But unfortunately, when you're having fun, time has a way to run away. So we've come to the end of our program. So join us next week at the same time, 9 p.m. Eastern time, as we discuss. Uh, I don't know if we will continue the, the same topic or discuss something else. But for now, uh, leave you with this great song by the one and only, the, great, the, gra- the grandfather of soul, James Brown. Say it loud. Take you eyes to make a pair. <laughs> Brother, we can't quit. <laughs>